Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome to Mapping the College Audition, a podcast where we explore the landscape of the college theater world and try to demystify this daunting audition process. I'm your host, Charlie Murphy, director of MTCA, Musical Theater College Editions, and today we have a great show lined up for you. Uh, Michaela Donovan from BU, that's Boston University. We've known Michaela for a while, and we were thrilled to have her come teach a masterclass for us this spring. Um, And I think you'll really enjoy the conversation with Michaela. She's just really smart and wonderful. Um, This is another one of our college deep dive episodes where you'll get that snackable audio tour into some various great theater programs around the country. Uh, Today with Michaela, we talked about adding tools to your acting toolbox. Um, We talked about the choosing the theater performance uh, versus acting, which is a specific thing that Boston University has, as well as the possible ability to get a musical theater concentration in either of those tracks. Um, Michaela tells you not to throw a chair at her during an audition, but everything else is fair game. Um, we talk about what is a callback versus what is a first video audition um, in kind of reframing the idea of what a pre-screen is. Uh, and Michaela gives you the advice to journal after each of your auditions, which I think is some, some great advice. Um, next week, we've got Megan Picerno, uh, who's currently going to be reopening Broadway as Christine in Phantom um, in a fun, different path because Megan comes from the world of opera. Um, But before we get into all that, I wanted to do a little check-in with your goals and how those are all going with everyone. So have you done your um, time capsule yet? How is it going? Where are you with it? Megan, have you done your time capsule yet? You know, Charlie, I need to take our own advice and do my own goals. I'm I'm, I'm heading into a new school year myself, and I need to have my goal, my vision board up. That's right. Megan is, yeah, Megan, do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about what you're doing at the moment? Yeah, I'm mapping my own journey. I'm getting you know. my master's in elementary education. Um, <laughs> seeing that where, where that path takes me. We love um, a mapping journey and we love education. Just like you'll see Michaela has like 19 degrees that she got herself. So we're a fan of education here. On yeah, the I'm, I'm going to try to beat her. I'm Coming up on two. Maybe we'll see where three comes along. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Um, the other thing, just kind of housekeeping-wise, I wanted to clean up is we've got a number of different questions along the lines of like, hey, when are you going to have my school on or blank school? Or sometimes people ask about the questions about the order. Like, are you go- guys going in an order of top schools and then lesser schools or anything like that? Um, first, to the first question, we'll say, yes, we've, we're going to have your school on. Whatever that school is, we're going to have them on. It's just a question of scheduling. Um, and just in terms of the order, you know, we started with a lot of schools that we have very close personal relationships with, which, of course, is 
a lot of top tier BFA programs, that is, uh, tends to be true. Um, it's certainly not a comprehensive list of all of the top tier BFA programs. And there's plenty that we are in contact with and that we're scheduling. So those may be coming in the coming months and coming six months, et cetera. So uh, the, the goal from our perspective is really to map the whole landscape, which is going to be all the most competitive schools, also newer programs, also less competitive schools, also not just BFA programs. We're going to have really a, a wide range of theater programs on there. Um, we just wanted to kind of get started with schools that we knew really well. Um, and some of the most popular schools certainly fit into that mold. Um, but I don't want you to overly read into which schools are going in what order. It's not like a de facto top list or anything like that. And certainly, um, if there's a school that we're missing on there, we know about it and we're, we're in contact with them and we're going to try to get every single school before this is done. Do you think we can get every school, Megan? I hope so. And if your college faculty is not on the podcast yet, bully them into emailing us. Yeah, bully them into that. I like that, Megan. So, so you get a second degree with Megan and she now, now she gets, you know, fiery, which I appreciate a lot. <laughs> also, Megan, Broadway's back. How are we yes. feeling? Have you uh, been following everything on the social meds and everything? I have. I've been watching a bunch of the, the opening night curtain calls and mm. the waitress and wicked one specifically. It's so nice to see all of our friends and colleagues headed back to work. But I think it's important to also look back on this past year that we went through and mm. not forget our call for racial equity and make sure that not only our cast are diverse and inclusive, but also our creative teams and holding you know, the higher ups of incountable for their future action. It's so true. There's that, that, that real duality of like, it's back, but hopefully it's not back to exactly what it was before. Yeah. But there is just that like pent up, you can feel the emotion of like, it's been years. It's been, I don't know if you listen to that daily episode. There's an episode, not that you should listen to other podcasts, only listen to our podcast guys, but <laughs> the daily did a great one. That's the New York times on like, um, you know, Broadway reopening and some of the feelings about it. And oh, some of six who had their, you know, opening that was going to happen and it got canceled on their opening day. And, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, this also means I'm going to the Tonys. Yeah. How excited are you? Is this your first Tonys? My first Tonys. And the first time I've worn a tux, not on stage since prom. Like I've worn tux on stage, but like they're like fake tuxes always because it's like you throw it on, you rip it off. Like, so this is like, mm -hmm. a, you know, it's a real tux. And I had a bright blue tux for prom, but I'm not going bright blue this year. We're going oh, a little wow. more standard. I you think. sure? I am pretty sure. You can be Elizabeth something blue at the at the Tonys. <laughs> That's true. Um, it's funny. Elizabeth and I were talking about like how different prepping for the Tonys this year is as opposed to like other years. Like instead of like, where are we going to pregame and how great do we look? Like everything we're talking about is like breast milk. And do we have the supply to give to my dad? Because we're renting a hotel room nearby to like, put, how long can we be without her? And it's oh. a very different experience at the Tonys than I think it would have been any other year. Yes. Um, but for those out there, if we can send Elizabeth some good juju, you know, mm -hmm. not only a friend of the pod, but a friend of our life. Um, and she's up for best leading actress in a musical. Maybe we can all tinkerbell it out there. And if we really believe um, it'll come true. Um, some wish and fairy dust. With some wishes and fairy dust. Or if you're rooting for other people, that's okay, too. It doesn't, you don't have to root for Elizabeth. But if you happen to, you know, go ahead. Mm -hmm. um, all right. Well, let's get into our episode and this great interview with Michaela. Well, it is such an honor to have on the pod today, Michaela Donovan. Uh, Michaela has a BFA in musical theater from Ithaca College. She has an MA in theater education from Emerson College. She has an MFA in acting from Brandeis University. It's a ton of education. Um, she's also the associate artistic director and founding member of the Bridge Repertory Theater of Boston. She's worked off-Broadway in various regional theaters all over the country. She's taught at many places, including Boston Conservatory and Emerson College. 
and now serves as the assistant director of the BU School of Theater, where she serves as head of admission and recruitment for the performance majors. Um, tell a little bit about Boston University. Um, it's in Boston, Massachusetts. They bring in a class size of about 12 to 19 students, and they offer degrees in BFA in acting, BFA in theater, theater arts performance. Um, and both of those majors have the ability to potentially concentrate in a musical theater concentration, which we'll talk about a little bit today, I'm sure. Yeah. And a hundred other degrees in design, production, stage management, music, anything in the music world. A lot of degrees that you guys offer. Yes, a lot of degrees. How do we do in summing up that school? I know, not not too easy. No, that was great. That was great. And it's good. It's always good to know that Boston University is in Boston, because wouldn't that be weird if it wasn't? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I'd say it for everyone else. I can't be like, Boston University, you know where. That's like when people are like, Hamlet from Hamlet. Yeah, We're exactly. like, we know. I know. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, you summed it up really well. Why don't, before we dive too deep into the school, I'd just love to, to hear a little deeper dive on your own background. So how did oh. you find yourself to be in this current position? Sure, sure. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. That's a confluence of events. Um, you know, I think I went to school, like you said, at Ithaca. I majored in musical theater. I lived in New York City. I did the agent manager thing, and I did a, I did a lot of work down there. And actually, I'm old enough that I did a lot of work in soap operas um, back in the day. <laughs> and um, and then I really, to be honest with you, I really missed the sort of educational aspect of theater, the pedagogical experience of like unpacking a text and talking about it. And so I, I said to myself, like, I don't really care where I do theater. I just want to make sure I'm doing it with people I respect that are being creative and um, kind of piece together lots of different ways of doing this work. So I moved to Boston and I started the master's program at Emerson. And while I was doing that, I was lucky enough to start working as an equity actor and, um, in you know theater, but also in uh, do some SAG work in film and television around here. And then um, I was not going to go back to school. You do not need to get that many degrees. But um, <laughs> but at the time, Brandeis University offered me um, a place in their class, and they only took a class every three years, and it was fully subsidized. And I was like, okay, let's do this. And um, so I was in the acting company there, and that was wonderful. And I got my MFA, and then I started kind of like. A little bit of teaching, a little bit of acting, a little bit of directing. So it's just really, I feel very blessed. Um, and my sister is also a professional actor as well. She just did her first HBO TV show, actually, coming out hey. next year. Yeah, shout out. And um, her name is Kelly Curran. She's lovely. And um, I bring her in as a guest artist here sometimes. And she, it's fun to see how everyone can have different paths to doing what we do. And there are a multitude of schools and a multitude of training programs and ways to do this. But it's not necessarily like there is a way, a school, a place that's going to guarantee you opportunities. So. Mm -hmm. um, so it's really cool to see a lot of peers who I've worked with and gone to school with who are doing a multitude of things and going in lots of different directions. That's well said. Let's do a little bit about um, sort of what it means to be a Boston University student. So I know that's not an easy, um, and let's say specifically a performance major at Boston University. Sure. What do you feel like that means uh, in brief? I think it means, um, like you said, it's not easy to define in that we see everyone as an individual and meet them as an individual. So there's not a specific like kind of person that gets out and is a BU performer, actor, director. Um, I think there are the core values of that kind of person. So they are um, inquisitive and generous and multi-hyphenate. Um, they have a lot mm -hmm. of interests. They're in intellectually motivated. 
um, and they have a sense of social justice work and make creating change with their art. Um, mm -hmm. And I think all of those things are the kind of actor or performer that a BU student becomes, um, but, they, but they all come to us so different from different places with different with different goals and um and i think our goal is to figure out how do we honor that individuality strengthen that individuality and also blend that with teaching skill sets from our points of view and then the whole point is the student has all these tools now and they don't have to like them all they don't have to like you know, every single thing, but it's about like, oh, this works for me right now. It, this doesn't work for me. But then four years from now, oh, that thing that I didn't get in school, mm -hmm. that works for me now. And I think it's about figuring out how to pick the tools from the toolbox and arm them with that. Tell me a little bit about those tools. So if you start off and you're inquisitive and you're generous and you're all the reasons that you might have accepted this person into Boston University, what are they leaving armed with? What are all the things yeah. that they're learning um, sure. specifically at your school? Yeah. I mean, uh, when they come in, they do a first year core. And what that means is they get a full year to explore. They don't have to choose a major yet. They're in the performance program, but we have BFA acting, BFA theater arts, and they get to choose that at the end of the first year. So what's nice is they get the sampling of all those tools in the beginning. They take acting, voice and speech, mm -hmm. movement, theater ensemble, dramatic literature, Alexander technique. And within those things, they're studying a multitude of techniques. And so they get this full year experience. And then they get to say at the end of that year, like, you know, I am hardcore acting. That's what I want to do. Or, you know, I actually thought I was an acting major, but I think I actually am more of a playwright or I want to be a playwright and an actor or I want to be a director and an actor um, or I just don't know yet and I want to get like a general broad overview of each area or dramaturgy, you know. And so that's kind of the difference between the acting major and the theater arts major, but it gives everyone that full year to explore. And so and we leave it up to the student to make that choice. And so I think it's nice because, you know, they get to kind of guide the tools that get put in that toolbox mm -hmm. or like the areas of study, which is cool. And if you were to sort of say, uh, especially from the acting perspective, where your focus is, whether it's, you know, more in classical theater or contemporary theater or film and TV, yeah. you know, is there an area that you feel like you focus a little bit more in or, or less in? Well, I feel like it's a good blend. I would say we start with the contemporary work and we start with working from the self into the contemporary work. And then we move into heightened text in the third year, end of second year, beginning of third year. Then the students go mm -hmm. abroad in the junior year, spring, and then, um, the senior year is heavily focused on film and television and the transition out of school. So I think it's a good blend of those things. I also think mm -hmm. the thing we do a lot lately is new work. So if students are interested in developing new work, new plays, being part of that process, um, new screenplays, that happens a lot here. Great. Um, and now I'm going to ask you maybe a tricky question. Let's imagine one of our students got into your school and a number of other good schools. Yeah. Um, why might they not choose your school? Why do you find oh. students are saying, actually, no, thank you? The price. <laughs> good answer. We are extremely expensive. Um, and I'm very transparent about that. And I also ethically feel it is not appropriate for someone in my position to ask students and their families to bankrupt their life to come to an institution. Mm -hmm. You know, again, I bring it back to like, there's no one school. So um, I'm very serious about 
if that's going to happen to you and your family, you should not do that mm -hmm. um, in an undergraduate education. So the price is one of the reasons why people don't come, um, which is hard, but I, but it, it's totally fine and I understand it. Um, I think some students, we do take that like 17 to 18 per major, but that means our incoming class of performance is around 30. Mm-hmm. And so some students want a much larger class than that. Some students want a much smaller class than that. So that can be a reason why people choose different things. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some students want to be in LA and they want to just do go to a film school and like, we get it. You know, if that's what you want to do, you should do that. And I think it's like, for me, it's like, I know pe when people come here, they either feel it's a fit or they don't. When they interact with us, they either feel it's a fit or they don't. And there's no convincing someone you know, it's not going to be good to have someone come here where it isn't a fit because two years in, no one's going to be happy with that. So, mm -hmm. you know, it really is about like student choice as well. It's not just about us picking people. It's about aligning with the values and the and the work going on and like making sure it's a place you can fail, you know, like a, you can fall on your face, which students don't like to do. Everyone's a perfectionist, <laughs> but you have to, you know, and that's, that's what it is to be human. And so if, you know, it, making sure you go to a school where you feel like, oh, you know what? If I mess up in this room, that's okay. This space will mm -hmm. hold me and this is the place to do it, you know? And, mm -hmm. and so I think that's important too. Um, what about outside of the theater program? What, what can you get from a, a Boston University education sure. that goes maybe beyond just the theater program? Yeah, I think that is one of the main, one of the reasons why a lot of people do come to us because BU is a liberal arts institution and we are inside of that as a, as a um, very rigorous program. And so students mm -hmm. still have to take general education requirements, meaning, and they want to. Like those are the kind of students who come here are the ones who are like satiated by taking a psychology class and, you mm -hmm. know, um, like an anthropology class and it actually feeds their artistry. So there are tons of awesome academic classes here. Um, you know, it's a big urban school. So it's, you know, you've got thousands of kids, but we're the smallest college inside that school. So you've got this very individualized advising attention and um, work being done, but then you can go out into the community. You can meet tons of people, inter international students, um, people from every walk of life. And then we also have um, tons of student groups and different sports. There are students who join sororities and fraternities in our program. There are students who um, uh, join dance troops that perform outside in our program. So, you know, it's just, it's a really important thing for people to be healthy outside of our work so that when they come in the building, they're ready to do our work. And we try to honor that as much as possible. So there's a ton to do. And then you got the city of Boston, which is awesome. And our students um, also can perform outside of school for credit hmm. by partnering with these theaters in Boston, these equity houses that we're all, we all know, and we're all friends with people who run them and stuff. And so um, we do have students do that too and take advantage of that. So it's kind of, it's a nice opportunity to like ease into um, a, a cosmopolitan area that has a lot of culture. Um, I'd love to talk a little bit about the, you know, a lot of our students who end up choosing Boston University mm -hmm. are the sort of MT straddling acting students when oh. maybe they've applied to a couple yeah. acting schools and a lot of MT schools. Maybe they have the, the opposite uh, iteration, but are still interested in musical theater, um, but maybe also know that acting focused musical theater school, at least yeah. what they look for. So I'd love to talk a bit about that music concentration and what you can offer to that kind of student. Yeah, it's a track inside um, the program. It starts in the sophomore year and it's available to either major. So anyone who 
who's an acting major or theater arts can can choose to pursue it. Um, we definitely have students who straddle that. Like I was an MT, I went all MT schools except BU or except you know mm. these two acting programs, and um, we've definitely like yoinked a bunch of MTs into the program. <laughs> So, um, so that's really exciting because we have a lot of really, really skilled singers, some from your, from alumni of your program and, um, Mm -hmm. um, who are doing really good work. But the, the thing is when they get out in the world, they are, they are actors. And so they are the rare breed in the New York world that can like Amber Gray, for example, from Hadestown is an alum of ours. And like Greg Hildreth is an alum of ours from Frozen. And like, those are people who can like do a Broadway musical, turn around and do an off-Broadway play, turn around and do a mm-hmm. film, you know, and they're, they're kind of bouncing between all of those things. And I think that's what differentiates an acting student here with the musical theater focus or ability is that they get out into the world and they're not necessarily going into the ensemble of chorus line, even though that's a job and that's a very valid job. They're, they're not doing that because they're actors. So they're moving into mm-hmm. lead roles and um, kind of new works and new projects. And so, and they're kind of, I think here, they're very aware of like, we're very aware of the pop rock multitude of worlds that commercial musical theater is going in. And so it's really honoring each individual's voice and not making them achieve what like a recording sounded like or something like that and asking mm-hmm. them to reinvent what the genre is and could be. And I think, think that's why a lot of them are working in it Mm -hmm. and the track itself is that it's additional singing classes or it's additional singing and dance or how does that work in terms of uh, yeah sure so it's right now it's a three course sequence that they're taking and um it's mostly acting focused but we're obviously singing but i mean through the acting lens and so they're Mm -hmm. working in class on solo work they're working on scene work with partners they're working on group numbers. Um, and then we obviously do an audition technique class where we bring in guest artists and they're putting their rep book together and all of that. Um, and pop rock and stuff. And that's in the the final course in the sequence. Um, and then inside that they're getting coaching, vocal coaching lessons every week or every other week for that course. Mm -hmm. And then we also have students who take additional voice lessons here with us as well, but that's obviously up to them and their choice. And then we have a dance minor on campus that many choose to supplement and take dance courses around our schedule, but you don't have to because the musical theater mm-hmm. um, track is really meant to be... That's like a singer-actor track. Yeah, acting-driven. Um, well, let's take a really short break and then we'll dive into the BU audition on the back end. Sounds good. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. 
All right, we are back with Michaela, um, where we're going to dive a bit into the audition. So I'm going to ask you a tough question, which is, in short, what do you think makes a great audition for Boston University or for you? I mean, because we are a highly regarded program, what is which is very fortunate, there is a basic level of skill that we're asking people to come in with. That's just assumed for most of the programs that we mm. are peers with, um, which means, you know, spe- specificity and technique and a... a authenticity um, and a willingness to be vulnerable and all those things that some people just naturally carry with them. Um, I think the other things are like um, when students, you can see students get lit up about the school, either because they knew it was a, a choice for them or because they just figured out it was a choice for them in that moment. And like, that's exciting because um, we try to make the audition experience extremely comfortable for people. We we usually do an info session beforehand for families. We usually uh, ask students to like, I don't ask people to slate. I hate that. Um, it's just because I'm already usually talking to them either on the mm-hmm. Zoom or in the room like, hey, where are you from? What's going on? You know, and so I don't need them to like be like, hi, my name is like, it, we get it. You know, um, I already am talking to you. <laughs> um, that's kind of weird. So so then, you know, it's really about an opportunity for them to be themselves and to know like if you mess up and you forget your words I'm an actor we're all working as faculty like that's okay um Mm -hmm. just start over and we've had many students who have done that and gotten into the program so it's you know we're not looking for perfection I think that that's what makes a good audition is like an authenticity and and also like being authentic doesn't mean what we're looking for it means like being authentic to you so if you know uh that what you want is a film program and you know you want to go to a school that only takes five people, like that's okay to, you know, if you want to say that, that's okay. Like it doesn't Mm -hmm. mean we wouldn't accept you, but you just may not choose us. That's fine. That's totally fine. And let's get a little bit more into that idea of like skill. Cause I think especially from an acting perspective, not everyone always knows like, what does that mean? I have to be skilled at acting. Like what, what are you looking for in that, on that end of thing? I guess the best way I can describe it is, there are some students who come in the room and they don't care we're there. Like hmm. they, be, they come so alive. They are so clear with their imaginary other on the wall behind us that they have imagined that world. They know what it smells like and tastes like and where the window is. And they have used that imagination so vividly that they would be happy doing this in their basement to a stuffed animal. Like, th- like they don't need us in the room. They don't really care we're there even though I'm sure they do. Mm -hmm. And they're just in the joy of doing it. And like, Mm. that's rare. I hate to say it, but it's rare. And so when you see those people, that's why everyone wants them. And that's why Mm. everyone, because I think phones are killing people. Like I think these things are killing us. And I think they're killing um, students' imaginations to be honest mm-hmm. with you, where instead of being bored anymore, we just go and we distract ourselves. And that's actually mm-hmm. really, really damaging our field. And mm-hmm. um, we have to be aware of that. And so you can see a student who, who hasn't lived on their screen. You can see a student whose imagination is risky and a little wild. And again, I think with high schools being so like, oh my God, get into college, it's so hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and the pressure families are under, I think that that joy and that risk-taking is also rare now. So when we see it, it's like, yes, 
You know, like someone walks in, they just are like, bam, I'm going to start in the corner of the room. Or they're just like, bam, I'm going to like lean against this mirror and I'm going to use it, you know? And it's like, awesome. Like I don't, Mm -hmm. there are no rules for me other than don't throw a chair at my head. There's no rules for me. So it's like, all right, like this young person and this young artist has the, like the nerve and the guts to come in and do that. Like that's a risk, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's, that's exciting. And I think it's, it's a privilege to watch those kinds of auditions. It's beautifully said. All right. Well, you've said there's no rules, but is there, is there anything else that you don't want to see in a student's audition other than a chair throw at the head on zoom? Are there no rules whatsoever? Anything Uh, that you feel like I'd rather you don't show me this. I don't think there's rules about how people do things to be honest, because I leave that kind of creative part up to the artist. But I do think like there are tips and things I would say like are helpful. You know, I mean, um, knowing something about the school might be helpful. Like we can tell, we can tell when we're just on a list versus when you've actually done some like research in it. And it's amazing. It's amazing what students will give away in an audition setting will tell us. And I'm like, Okay. I mean, interesting information, but, you know, so I think it's also figuring out the questions you have for each school. To be Mm -hmm. honest with you, I'm like more interested in some respects in the, the, into like the conversation part of the audition, uh, because like you can see the work and the potential for growth pretty quickly. Um, So I would say I'm more interested in that aspect of it because I want to know the human being and if it's going to be a fit. Um, So I would say definitely that. I would say like your resume, we don't really, I mean, I speak for myself. I don't really care that much (laughs) about your resume. Uh You know, it's one, I, what's cool about the resume is be like, oh, you studied with Charlie or you studied with so-and-so. Like, I know them. That's awesome. You know, Uh and that it's a very small world in that way. But I'm not worried. Like if you did a Broadway show when you were nine or if you've never done a show mm-hmm. before, that's fine. I'm going to look at like high school is high school, you know? So I'm going to look mm-hmm. at like what's in front of me, like the human mm-hmm. being in front of me. So I would so, say so like true. that kind of stuff. Don't worry about it. You've anticipated my favorite question, which I'll just go a little deeper into, which is if you had to estimate how much of your decision is based on like the skill displayed in the monologues versus maybe the interview questions, mm. the adjustments, right? The other artistic things that happen maybe yeah. in a room that go beyond the first performance. Yeah. Oh my God. That's a great question. I would say maybe, okay, I'm going to be honest and say like two thirds of the people that come to the, in each program, let's say, are people who are like, we knew like immediately we wanted to connect Mm -hmm. with that person. And then I would say there's like a third of people who like their work is really strong, has great potential, but they sit down with you and you're like, this human being is going to be really important for this ensemble of people, Mm. you know, or this human being is just a person that is so dynamic that like, maybe they don't have the coaching or the access to coaching or, you know, those resources when they've applied, but they're Mm -hmm. so raw and authentic that that stuff we can train, Mm -hmm. you know, and they just have that thing, that thing about them. That's like the willingness, the hunger, the dynamic energy. So I would say like, yeah, there's definitely a fair amount of students in the class who fall in that or they or they sit down with you and their acting is strong but they're 
they have opened up this incredible directing portfolio and you're like, mm. okay, like, you know, like, like, and they come alive. And then you're like, because we're not just making a class of just actors, mm. you know, so that's really exciting. So there's always room for that. Mm. And then to the best of your knowledge, how does that work with the academic side of things too? So let's say you want a kid artistically, yeah. how does that work in terms of the interplay with the university itself? Yeah. The total bummer is like, I don't have, I don't have final say. So basically how it works is students come, they apply to the university, they sign up for their pre-screen. If they pass the pre-screen, they get invited to a callback. And if they're doing the callback, like I can put in an artistic rating at the end of that callback day, and then it goes over to the Office of Undergraduate Admissions, mm -hmm. and then they open their academic portfolio. So I have a liaison in admissions. Once that academic portfolio is opened, multitude of things can happen. The we might want a person so bad, we might be like, they are amazing and we want to fight mm -hmm. for them. But if their academics are well below BU's averages, it's probably going to be a no-go and they'll just get rejected. And mm -hmm. usually with those rare students, which is like, you know, 10 or 15 people a year, I will email them at the end of the process and be like, once they hear the no and be like, this was mm -hmm. not an artistic decision. And mm -hmm. if you want to talk about transferring, let's talk about it, you know, so, and that's happened a fair amount, actually. Mm -hmm. um, so. Sometimes it's a no because BU says it's a no, big BU. Sometimes it's a no because we don't feel it's an artistic fit, even if a student has amazing grades. And if uh -huh. that happens, it's still a no from the university. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I would say it's definitely, I have a conversation with admissions and I can fight for some people. Um, but ultimately the academics have to, have to be in the ballpark to start. And in this metaphor, were you guys little BU? They're big BU and you're little BU? Maybe we're wacky BU. I don't know. You're, yeah, italicized BU. Exactly. Um, I have to give you a personal thank you and shout out for my my crusade is to get yeah. um, professors to start calling them callbacks instead of pre-screens and auditions. So I appreciate oh, you calling yeah. them callbacks because sure. pre-screens are an, a live, a, a yeah. videoed audition and that's a callback. Absolutely. Absolutely. People are like, my first audition. Like, you already passed a pre-screen. It's not your first audition. Yeah. No, totally. Oh, can I say one thing? Please. Because um, I get students to ask this a lot. I would say like some schools will tell you if you do a pre-screen and then you get a callback, some schools will tell you what they'd like you to prepare. But if they mm -hmm. don't tell you what they'd like you to prepare, I would say, you know, students always say like, should I do the same piece? Should I not do the same pieces? You know, sometimes like one of us will be watching pre-screens and they, not all our colleagues will get to see it. And so we'll be like, oh my God, that was amazing. I want them to come in for us. And I'd love for my colleague to see them do that piece, mm -hmm. you know? So I would say more often than not, there's a reason you got called back. So lean lean into what you've done before, but you don't have to recreate it. Don't try mm -hmm. to recreate what you did. Be fresh with it. Let it let it evolve. Let it emerge. But there must be something in the essence of that piece that encapsulates your essence as an actor. And mm -hmm. once you find those pieces, hold on to them and let them grow with you. Um, so I would say that's something I would. I would suggest is like, think about, yeah, stay with, stay with what worked, you know, yeah. and you can always throw like, in new stuff. Like you would for any callback. That's why it's a great word for it. Totally. You would always, for the casting director called you back in, now let's yeah. do it. Um, let's, uh, let's get into that pre-screen a little bit. You yeah. guys had, I think, the most dreaded um, pre-screen this year. Because we did? Well, not most dreaded, but most no um, maybe agita creating pre-screen cool. with the uh, uh, alternative um, was it alternative environment that yeah. you asked for. So let's talk a little bit about that. So if the, maybe some of the reasoning behind it, and also sure. kind of what you're looking for specifically in your pre-screen. Happy to talk about that. Yeah, happy to talk about that. Well, 
we made this decision. We've never done pre-screens before last year, actually. We used to see everyone, which I prefer. Mm -hmm. I prefer. But it's just simply the sheer amount of applications has become too much. And um, and so when we went online for Zoom and for like during, you know, 2020, I was like, I want to give everyone an opportunity for me to see um, a multitude of things like we would in the room. And and filming two pre-screens against a blank wall in a very limited amount of space for an actor, to me, doesn't leave them the freedom to really access other parts of their artistry. And so I was like, okay, I'll do one of those, right? To get a sense of like, can someone focus and, you know, like see them up close. But then I was like, I want to see how someone's body moves in space. I want to see how their creative mind works because you can see an actor who also has a directorial mind Mm -hmm. in this kind of exercise. We're not expecting everyone to have that. And we're not requiring that, but it's fascinating to watch. And it's fascinating to watch some of these pre-screens that are these, you know, site-specific ones that we ask for because some people take real risks in them and the way they use the camera's inventive. And it just gives us a sense of like someone feeling more comfortable in a space, regardless of what space that is. Um, And it doesn't have to look perfect. It doesn't have to have fancy lighting. It doesn't have, you know, Mm -hmm. like we don't need any of that. And I would be really bored <laughs> watching 1,200 pre-screens of people against blank walls. So it was just like partially selfish because I was like, I want like I want to just stay engaged in this process for these students. Um, so that's kind of the reasoning behind why we did that, and it was so fun, so fun. Uh, yeah, are, are there any of the out there site-specific yeah. locations you want to let us know about? Or, I, I mean, mean, without. There, yeah, I mean, the, the cool thing was there were some students who didn't really light up on the traditional pre-screen, and then all of a sudden, they got into their site-specific, and it was like, oh, there you are. Oh, my God. And I never probably would have called them back without mm-hmm. that aspect of it. Um, so, you know, I think there was, there was, I mean, there were amazing things. There was one kid who kind of had this sense of humor, like, this dry sense of humor through his work. And he was like on an elliptical with a, with a rope bathrobe and he ended up diving into a pool. Now you don't have to do that. That's not necessary, but it made sense for the monologue Mm. and it, and it enhanced the monologue, even though that's not necessarily the context of where it took place in the play, which is fine. Mm -hmm. I don't need that necessarily. And so, but like the way he invented it and the way it elevated the text and the way he came to life was like, hilarious. I mean, it was so funny. Um, Hmm. And it really gave me a sense of him or them. Hmm. I don't know what pronouns they use, but it really gave me a sense of that person. Um, Hmm. So that, that is the gift of it, I think. And so there were definitely some really fun uh, explorations last year. Um, Any bits of advice that you feel like you didn't get to give, maybe especially a, a 16, 17 year old maybe this year who's about to start the full process who's you know getting into pre-screens and about to kind of do their applications if they haven't started them it's september 2nd you should have started them already everyone um no but if they're in that place is there any kind of advice that you'd want to um throw someone that way if they're looking at be sure yeah i mean i think there's so many things but i think a lot of it is like you'll be okay i think that's the advice i want to give like hmm. you'll be okay you know this is this is one phase of life if the door that you want to open doesn't open for you, like look at, look around you. Cause I'm sure there are other doors opening. And I think that's really 
I think that's really important in this because I think people have gotten and families understandably have gotten really um, freaked out about this process and it can feel like a big mystery. And I think it's important for students to, and families to remember that we're human beings as well and we have empathy for that. We understand it's gotten a little crazy and out of control. Um, and there are people you will align with in this process and you should listen to that. Um, regardless of the reputation of a school or how fancy their alumni are. You know, that's wonderful and that's something to consider. But if that doesn't feel like a fit for you or doesn't feel like it's going to be a healthy environment for your growth, then you should pay attention to that. And I would urge you to journal after each audition experience um, and just just notes on like how this person, how this interaction made me feel, like what we talked about just for yourself so that two months later, if you've gotten acceptances, you can go back to that and be like, oh, that's interesting. That's what I, I didn't remember feeling that way. Or maybe you feel totally differently once you're in a, uh, accepted, you know? So I think there's, mm -hmm. there's the human things. I could give you a million, like, you know, these are the plays to do and not do or whatever. And that's just my opinion. That doesn't exist, you know? So um, I could give you all of that from my perspective, but I think it's the people who do best are the ones who can have some perspective around this whole application process and know that like we've had tons of students who didn't get in the first time they auditioned for us and came back around, mm -hmm. kept in touch with us and got in the next year. So like it doesn't always have to be over if it doesn't mm -hmm. go the way you want it, you know? I love it. Um, let's just wrap up with a, a couple questions in terms of looking back and looking ahead. Yeah. Um, I'd just love to talk a little bit about you know, the specific challenge of 2020. And now yeah. as we get into 2021, um, both from the perspective of, you know, the the virtual world that we're now in inhabiting, yeah. or at least partially inhabiting, and we'll see how that continues. Yeah. Um, and then also some of the demands for racial equity that uh, sure. have come up uh, sure. last summer. So yeah. how has BU made adjustments to meet um, each of those moments? Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, when it comes to the virtual stuff, I actually think we learned a lot of really positive things last year. And I know every school is saying that and they're like, it was, you know, but, but we really did. I saw, to be honest with you in my class that we pivoted to three days, you know, after everything happened, mm -hmm. I saw some of the most specific work I had seen. And that was because mm -hmm. they, there wasn't necessarily the pressure of being in the space with all those eyes on you in that moment. So this, every student got to really focus on what they were mm. doing. And that really elevated the work in a lot of ways. Um, I also think it's awesome now because like Zoom is so normal now, I guess, or, you know, that I can call a, an alum in California and be like, hey, can I throw you this, you know, this amount of stipend and will you just zoom in on your free time with the students, you mm. know? And that, like, we didn't really we weren't thinking like that before, or that mm -hmm. was more rare. And now it's so accessible. So the students have access to a lot more people, which is great. Yeah. And I think in terms of, you know, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, access, you know, that all of that um, affected every school last year. And, um, and we have an incredibly racially diverse program here. And um, it's nice to see we're moving into a period where our faculty is now reflecting those voices mm -hmm. as well, even though each individual has their own experience. Um, so we, you know, as a faculty and staff and students, we've done a ton of of trainings. Um, we worked with Nicole Brewer and we worked with Kathy Takayama, and and they were really wonderful and thoughtful about asking ourselves what is our mission, what are we doing, um, 
what shows are we producing? What stories do we want to tell? But I have to say that like, this has always been a conversation since I, since, you know, I started here eight years ago and, Mm -hmm. um, the conversation has gotten hotter and more, um, visible around the country and the world as it should. But, but I also say this is a conversation that's been going on for us for a while. And the acknowledgement that it is a difficult conversation, that it's not, um, that it has nuance inside of it. And that's really hard right now in a very charged, mm-hmm. um, bifurcated country, you know? And so it's not easy, those conversations, but the important thing is the willingness to have them as a community um, and the willingness to work on them as a community. So yeah, I think that's an ongoing process. Mm. You know? um, what about the 2022 audition season um, in terms of the virtual? Are you keeping any virtual auditions? Is, are you have any plans for exactly how that's going to go um, this year? Yeah, it's, a, it's sort of hybrid. So everyone, um, ED1 and ED2 applicants can sign up for a live audition. Um, they do not have to submit a pre-screen. Regular decision applicants have to submit a pre-screen by December 1. And then um, and then if you're invited to a callback, you'll have a multitude of options to choose from. So you can do an in-person callback that can take place in Boston, New York, or Chicago. We're not going to LA this year. Sorry, California people. Um, we're not going to LA this year because the Super Bowl <laughs> mm-hmm. is there the same weekend and it got too chaotic. But we are, in, in lieu of that and in addition to that, we also are offering um, Zoom callback days and weekends, um, simply because it's a lot of money to come to these places. It's a lot of time to take away from school for people. Um, and we have a lot of international applicants. So we did the auditions last year, all virtually, and they went really well. And so we feel it's important for everyone to have access to us and not necessarily, um, be limited. Uh, so yes, we are doing some zoom, some in person and, no, I do not think one is better than the other. We're not giving <laughs> preference to those in person. Of course, we'd love to see you in person. Um, but if you must, you know, do Zoom, then yeah, we can still get a sense of someone's essence um, in that conversation for sure. And would you suggest Zooming from a treadmill if I have the option <laughs> or an elliptical? If you had the sense of humor of that kid, then yes, go for <laughs> it. Because that kid was fun. I love it. Um, any final thoughts, anything that we kind of missed, you know, that you would go, I really was ahead of my list. I want to talk about this today. Um, uh, if, if you Google a monologue and it's easy to find, it's also easy to find for thousands of other people. <laughs> so the first things that pop up on Google are going to be the most visited and playwrights are now using the algorithm to bump their stuff up to the top, which is why I saw mm-hmm. the same playwright multiple times last year, which is fine. But I would urge you, like, scroll down some pages or go to a library. A what, Michaela? A library. Uh, I love it. Well, Michaela, thank you so much for the time today on the pod. It was so great having you. Thanks, Charlie. I really appreciate your time. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Michaela as much as I did. She's just so smart and warm and an artist. You can really feel her, her artistry come through um, just from those first couple sentences. So that was, it was really fun for me. And I hope you guys got a lot out of that. Um, today, I want to do a little bit of a deeper dive into a tricky conversation about risk. Um, I think it's a, a tough one to tackle since you all are going to ask for kind of rules. And I'm not going to quite give you rules because 
of course, what makes something a risk often is how it breaks the rules. So we're going to try to do this, but um, don't quote me on all of this if it comes out a little bit, um, not perfectly. Um, I thought Michaela talked really beautifully today about the idea of wanting to see people take artistic risks. Um, I think the trickiest part of taking risks, of course, is that they're, in essence, they're risky. Um, and one professor's opinion of what is a genius artistic risk that really pushed the bounds is another professor's pet peeve of, well, why are they always trying to do this? Why can't they just do this kind of safer material, right? Um, that is why my biggest piece of advice, if you only hear one thing about this today, it would be that any risk that you take has to be fully and deeply artistically supported by you. That's capital Y-O-U-U. -U. If you were to take a large risk and someone behind the table were to say, I hate that choice. I wish you didn't do that piece. I don't like what you did there. You start, what Michaela used the example of you started in the corner or you were grabbed a mirror and were using the mirror. I'd want you to be able to go, oh, well then great. I guess this isn't the school for me. I'd want you to feel that supported by whatever choice you made, that it wasn't just a random risk that you took, but you said, or that you felt I am the kind of person who wants to take random risks. And if you don't like it, this is not the school for me, right? What I wouldn't want is my high school teacher told me to do this because this school likes risks. Or my young coach maybe said, this is what I did to get into my school. And so that's what I'm going to try to do, right? That's where it's going to start feeling like a trick more than a real risk. It's not really an artistic risk. It's you trying to game your way into the system, right? Um, you may hear of that outlandish audition, like the elliptical person we talked about today, or every year this happens with MTCA with wild card stories. People hear of a crazy wild card that worked well and they want to try to replicate it, right? And they feel like if it worked for that other person, it'll, it'll work for me. Um, I do think all of the, these outlandish choices can work if it's supported for you. But if you think you're doing it just because you're supposed to, we can just smell that immediately. We smell that it feels like somebody else's choice. Um, it's also the kind of thing of like how mature a piece can be, which is often how kind of risky and you'll hear people talk about, oh, I don't love this risk. Um, I think it also has a lot more to do with the student's comfort level than actually the faculty's comfort level. If you're not completely comfortable with, let's say, the mature level of something, when I say maturity, it could be a uh, subject matter that's risque, it could be colorful language, there's a couple different um, versions of, of maturity um, that I'm talking about there. But if you're not completely comfortable with it, you're gonna make me feel uncomfortable. It sort of becomes like watching a car accident happening. As like I see a student who's uncomfortable and the material is coming up to, on this thing and these things are colliding against each other, as opposed to if you're riding the wave of it because you're really behind it, I'm generally gonna be much more comfortable. And like that said, you know, people like Michaela, the vast majority of these professors are artists themselves, often actively working artists. And whatever you're doing is not gonna be the most outlandish thing they've ever seen. It's just that we feel uncomfortable if I feel like something is beyond you and you're trying to be something you're not. You're trying to be, you know, badass with some difficult language that just doesn't feel like it's you. Then I feel like I've just missed the opportunity to meet you and instead met this, maybe your coach who had, had this great choice and he's like, I got out in school this way. Maybe this will work for you. Right. And I don't get to actually see the person that you are, which is almost certainly more interesting than the, the version of this teacher, this advisor who told you to do this other thing. Um, I also think when we talk about risk, and I think specifically when Michaela was talking about it here, it does go beyond some of those um, rules or guidelines, right? And again, uh, to you, some examples there, you know, stuff like bringing in props, you're told not to do that. Um, doing accents, you're told not to do that. You know, bringing in a piece from a movie instead of a play, right? Those kind of things that may be on schools, hey, don't do this list. Certainly anything that, if you were to do that, would get into the version of a risk, which again, you can do, again, if it's truly supported. There's no true rules, except that there are no rules, right? Um, 
But sometimes before you necessarily go to those those outer edges of what is uh, um, an obvious rule-breaking kind of risk I can make, I would encourage you to think, how can you take risks within the artistic material itself? Um, sometimes it's just as simple as like challenging yourself artistically to vulnerably risk what you're doing, right? Which maybe in a dramatic piece, we often talk about like, what does it cost you? Does it cost something more than just an easy run of it where it didn't feel like nothing, anything happened, right? Does it feel like this actually cost me something? Sometimes in a comedic piece, can I push the boundaries of, of what I planned? I may have planned a certain cadence and said, let's see if I don't do the plan and see if I'd actually surprise myself with my own comedic choices, right? That's a version of risk that is really exciting in a room that isn't necessarily fully pushing the boundaries, right? So sometimes it can be a little bit more about discovery than it is about what is so outlandish, and it will still feel like a real risk in the room. This person is is willing to take chances and, and play and try stuff. Um, that's certainly something we'll talk about if we get into adjustments at all, which I'm sure we will at some point um, on the pod. Well, if you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please hit that follow button. Um, we'd also appreciate it if you were going to rate and review us wherever you found us. Five stars if you throw chairs like Bobby Knight, and an ironic five stars if you just prefer to sit in your chairs. That's that's okay, too. You can also reach out to us with questions for the pod at mailbag at mappingthecollegeaudition.com. If you're interested in working with MTCA for help with your individual prep for your college audition journey, please check us out at mtcollegeauditions.com. To my young artists out there mapping their journeys, who knew the second page of Google is basically the new library? We'll see you next week. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.